Hi everyone, this is Marty McDermott, the president of Franchise Interviews, and I can't start today's show without talking about the ISO 10002. You know, some people just love to complain, but companies have a responsibility to care. The International Organization for Standardization, ISO, has revised ISO 10002, the standard for complaint handling. This document enables organizations to foster a customer-focused environment, open the feedback, heightening their customer satisfaction. You can get the ISO 10002 standard from the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, the U.S. member body of ISO. Visit ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. That's ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 12 years now, we've been asking the franchipreneurs of one one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and we have a great show. Well, today we're discussing business plans and guerrilla marketing. First, we're meeting with Sherry Warwick, author of Creating Business Plans That Actually Get Financed. In part two, we're meeting with Todd Woods, CEO of Guerrilla Marketing Strategies Incorporated, and Eddie Leonard, Chief Operating Guerrilla, to discuss the book, Guerrilla Marketing for the Franchisee. And that's coming right up on Franchise Interviews. So stick around because we have a great show. The Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity. Are you looking for a unique and lucrative franchise opportunity? If so, take a look at Stone Coat. With a patented process which creates a true stone finish on almost any wall or ceiling, Stone Coat is a true game-changing product in the multi-billion dollar construction industry. Stone Coat is applied faster, cleaner, and cheaper than conventional quarried stone, which saves both time and money. With advantages in remodel and new construction of both residential and commercial projects, Stone Coat is a true crossover product. The Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity provides a low startup cost, low operating expenses, comprehensive training, ongoing support, and no royalty payments. For more information on the Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity, go to www.stonecoatfranchise.com. That's www.stonecoatfranchise.com or call us at 972-380-2700. That's 972-380-2700. Franchise Teacher. Would you like to know how to franchise your concept or grow your franchise business? Meet the experts at Franchise Teacher. The goal of Franchise Teacher is to teach, coach, consult, and advise. The team of experts at Franchise Teacher will evaluate your business model and present you with a winning business strategy. Franchise Teacher will help you decide whether or not your concept works and if it's franchisable. Franchise Teacher is proud to have over 30 years of experience in franchising as both franchisees and franchisors. Franchise Teacher are developers of over a dozen franchise systems, which include brick and mortar as well as home-based concepts of nearly 3,000 combined franchise locations. Whether you need to add more units or get more customers, Franchise Teacher can help. We will teach. Franchise Teacher will help you learn our proven system. Coach. Franchise Teacher will help you provide a game plan to succeed. Consult. Franchise Teacher will make sure you stay on track. And advise. Franchise Teacher will help you learn from our over 30 years of experience in franchising as both franchisees and franchisors. 
Take advantage of our free, no-obligation phone consultation. Simply go to FranchiseTeacher.com or call us at 561-385-3032. That's FranchiseTeacher.com or call us at 561-385-3032. Hi, this is Connie McDermott, Administrative Assistant for Franchise Interviews, LLC, and you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews, from Eastern Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over asking the franchipreneurs one-on-one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, and I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. And as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're meeting with Sherry Warwick, author of Creating Business Plans That Actually Get Financed. Hey, Sherry, how are you doing today? I'm well, Marty. How are you? I'm doing well, Sherry. It's great to finally have you on the show. I'm so glad that you wrote this book. I thought we can uh, dive right into it, um, Sheree, and you know, maybe you can tell us how you became an expert in the area of writing business plans to raise capital. Sure. Well, uh, the the story is that I joined a family business mm-hmm. in about 2007, and we did bookkeeping services, my mother and I, mm. and we decided, or she decided, um, that she wanted to grow and expand the business, and she right. thought that she would want to get a business loan. Well, the first thing we had to do was write a business plan, right. and since I had the business degree, she said, you've got that assignment, and I had <laughs> never written one before. Um, well, I, you know, I'd written one, but not really right. for raising capital, so right. I started looking around for information in terms of how do you write a business plan that actually receives a yes. Yes. And the information was very limited in terms of how to do that. So I pulled together what I could. I uh, showed it to a mentor of mine that was a 40-year veteran in terms of running businesses and raising capital. He said, make these few tweaks, and I did that, and the bank said it was one of the best business plans that they had ever read. Um, After that point, I started uh, raising capital, raising money for my Chamber of Commerce, and I used the same information in order to do that. I started helping other companies, um, and I also started speaking with other consultants that raised capital as well and learning a lot more uh, strategies Uh and tactics for understanding what angel investors and banks and venture capitalists are looking for and business plans. That's fantastic, Sri. You're right. You know, I mean, there's so much out there as far as, like, you know, how to write a business plan. If you were to go to, like, Barnes & Noble, you know, you, you see a dozen books. But, you know, most of them, you know, I suspect there's a lot of people out there that use those books, and then they go to a bank or an angel investor, and then they get a no. So I was so happy that you wrote this book on how to get a yes. I don't think there's a lot out there. I haven't seen a lot anyway, so I, I think it's fantastic. Many of our listeners, um, you know, they've heard that banks aren't lending. Is that true, Cherie? That is not true. However, it is much harder to get a loan today Mm -hmm. than it was five years ago. So we'll definitely be honest about that. There's also, um, within small businesses, there are three things that you need in order to get a bank to say yes. And Mm -hmm. the truth is, if you don't have 
all three of these things, you're not going to receive a yes. It doesn't matter how great your business plan is right. or if you're the next Google. It's not going to matter. Okay. So um, if you don't mind, Marty, I'll tell the audience those yes. three things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first one is good credit, okay. good personal credit. The second is you need to have enough collateral, and that changes from bank to bank in terms of what they consider enough collateral to be. Um, and then the third thing you need is cash flow. Mm. And notice I didn't just say cash, I said cash right. flow. You have to show that your business is going to bring in enough revenues every month in order to not only pay payroll and rent, but to also pay for your own personal bills and to pay the bank back. Because if the bank considers that at the end of the month you have a choice between paying the bank back or buying diapers for the baby, mm -hmm. which one are you going to choose? Sure. You're going to choose your family every time. Of course. So um, those are the things that they're really looking for in order to feel comfortable. That's great. So credit, collateral, and cash flow. Would you recommend, Cherie, that um, <clears throat> I guess um, entrepreneurs get a copy of their credit report first, um, it sounds like, so they know, you know what their credit score is <laughs> before you know, they go through all the motions of writing a business plan to find out that their credit is bad? I would suggest that. Plus, I would suggest they take that credit score or that mm -hmm. credit information to their local commercial banker. Okay. Don't just go to the branch manager, but go right. to the person that actually sees what's getting funded and what's not getting funded. And show them your credit score and show them um, your assets and say, if I had this type of business, right. do you think your bank would, you know, at least take a good hard look at it? Sure. Now, Every bank has a portfolio of things that they invest in. So some of them like to be real estate heavy. Some of them like to right. be government contract heavy. So while I mentioned those three things, there are a lot of other factors that, that contribute as well. But sitting down with, like I said, that great commercial banker right. and, and laying it all out and being truthful and honest is one of the best ways that uh, you can kind of figure out, okay, am I bankable right. or am I going to have to go maybe the angel route or the crowdfunding right. route and raise money that way? That's interesting, and I want to talk about that as well. Our yeah. And, Marty, I'm sorry, if you don't mind, no. if you don't mind, I just want to throw in one statistic, and sure. that is that there were over 5 million small business loans that means loans under a million dollars in 2011, and they uh, wow. rose in 2012. The government doesn't have the statistics yet because we're just in March right, of 2013. Right. But I wanted to let you know five million small businesses did receive capital so uh, from from banks. Well, that's good to know, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, a lot of our listeners, too, I mean, they're, I guess we can, classify them as small businesses. You know, a lot of our listeners are looking to buy like a Subway or a Dunkin' Donuts or a, it could be a cleaning franchise, whatever that may be. You know, so it's nice to know that it, it sounds like money is actually being invested in small startup businesses um, yes. on an annual basis, Cherie. So yes. I, I think that's fantastic. Why is it important for us as entrepreneurs to understand how to raise capital, Cherie? Well, it's an evergreen skill, and what that means is it's just like knowing how to lead people or knowing how to balance your checkbook. Uh -huh. It's something that if you don't have it, you're going to end up in a world of hurt. Um, 
most businesses fail because of cash flow issues. Right. Even if they have a huge order out in the universe somewhere, yeah. um, they may not get paid fast enough in order to, to pay their payables. So knowing how to raise money is important for not only that purpose, but let's say that you're doing very well right now, but you want to go into another market. Let's right. say a franchisee wants to open up a second store, a third mm-hmm. store, or a third location. Um, but they can't necessarily use the cash flow from just the first store. Right. Well, what are they going to do? Um, and, and maybe they used all their personal credit and personal capital in order to get that first store up and running. Well, knowing how to raise money is how we're able to grow exponentially as small business owners. That's fantastic, and it's important because a lot of our listeners, too, Cherie, they do want to expand at some point. You know, many of them out there, they don't just want to own that one unit, that one subway or that one pizza franchise. They do want to grow over time, you know, so I I think that's great advice. I'm curious what, you know, some of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make when writing their business plans and presenting them to um, investors, Cherie. Well, one of the first things I would say is put yourself in the shoes of that investor, Uh okay? They've worked very hard in order to um, assemble, you know, their money. Uh, And the average angel investor puts about $300,000 into Uh a company. But you'll be surprised to know this. The average angel investor makes $90,000 a year. So if I'm speaking to my next-door neighbor or a church friend about investing, you know, $100,000, $200,000, $300,000, they've worked very hard for their money. Sure. Um, and one of the things that we have to do as entrepreneurs is know what their greatest fears are in terms right. of giving you their capital right. and actually answer their questions. Okay. Like you want to be proactive, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, is to identify what those fears are and just you know, come right out with it. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So some of the, the common reasons why angels reject deals, and, and this is a part of um, a study that was done by EquityNet.com, mm-hmm. um, some of the common reasons are they don't feel that your franchise can grow sufficiently enough to be able to pay them back. Mm. or there's lack of information about you as the entrepreneur or is about the franchise itself. Or the really, really big one is that they don't trust the team and the management team in particular in order to um, bring customers in, service those customers sufficiently, create happy customers, and get them coming back more and more and more because Savvy angel investors, and I'm talking about people that put deal, put money into deals about three to ten times a year, right. um, are what we what we will call more savvy angel investors. They know that the team is more important than the business idea itself. They also know that if you have no customers, you have no business, right. and there are no exceptions to that. So they want to know how are you going to get the customers in, and they want to know that you have a strong enough management team to actually be able to um, to make that happen. That's interesting, Sri. I didn't realize that with angel investors, you know, that $90,000 per year. I think so many of us have this perception out there that, you know, they're bringing in millions of dollars every year, don't we? 
Yeah, we do. But, you know, in my research in, in regards to this book, because I, I am a, a business girl and a, mm-hmm. a stat person, right. I was shocked myself to find this out. And what That's we're amazing. learning from this is that the angel investor is really the person next door right. um, that that will look at several uh, deals a year, and they really consider their money as a portfolio, just mm. like you know a money uh, mutual mutual fund manager looks at a portfolio. An angel investor would consider your business as part of their portfolio as well. Um, so sometimes they may say no because it's just not a great fit for their portfolio. Sure, absolutely. Is there a good way to identify angel investors, Sheree? I mean, how do people find them? I mean, do they just go on the Internet and do a Google search? or What's the best way to identify them? Well, one thing that you can do is, yes, go on to Google Mm -hmm. and put in your state and put in angel investment networks. Now, these are a group of angel investors that get together sometimes once a month, sometimes once a quarter, and they will hear pitches Mm -hmm. from uh, business owners in their communities. And I'll tell you this as well. The average angel investor does not like to invest in a business that's more than four hours of driving time. So with with me, I live in the northern Virginia area. Four right. hours of driving time gives me access to New Jersey, okay. Maryland, you know, uh, West Virginia, states like that. For other people, four hours, of course, may be a little bit more prohibitive, but right. it really lets you know the radius that you have. That's so looking at angel investment networks, also writing your business plan, writing a strong business plan and a strong executive summary, yeah. and just reaching out to family and friends because you never know who knows who. Um, again, I mentioned you know churches um, are a great place. Again, just yeah. saying this is my business, this is what I'm looking to do. You never know who's going to stand up and say, well, I can introduce you to XYZ person. They may be interested in what you have to say. That's fantastic. We, um, I also work with a group, Sheree, they're called the Collegiate Entrepreneurs, and we're having a elevator pitch contest in September, you know. And uh, do you have any advice, you know, for, for that particular group as far as, like, making their elevator pitch? I think they have, like, two minutes to make their pitch. And, and you know, I we kind of use that scenario as, you know, you're in front of a bunch of angel investors and you have, like, mm-hmm. two minutes or 60 seconds to, you know, to, to make your plea for them to invest in your business. I mean, what would you say to them? Well, I would say to include a few things into their elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, number one is tell clearly and precisely in a sentence or two what market problem you're solving or Uh, what the idea is, okay? The second thing is to let people know, do you have current customers? If Uh, you do, how many do you have? Um, What's the average ticket price um, that the person is spending? Um, The third thing is, you know, mentioning a little bit about your competitive advantage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The fourth thing is mentioning information about your financials, especially if you currently have a business up and running. Or if you don't have a business up and running, saying what you believe the first year, second year financials would be. Um, And then the, the last thing that I would suggest is practice, practice, practice. Right. I always say, 
if you are asking for $2 million, and $2 million is, of course, a rhetorical number, whatever sure. amount you're asking for, why are you winging it? Right. <laughs> why, haven't you, why don't you really sit down and write exactly what you're going to say and think about it for several days, exactly what you're going to say? Because at the end of the day, Angel investors and banks invest in entrepreneurs, and they invest in teams. Right. They invest in great leadership. And the more that you're able to show them that you're prepared, right. the better off you are. Wow, I think that's that's excellent advice. Um, there's there's six parts, <clears throat> according to your book, there's six parts mm-hmm. to an investable business plan. Maybe we can yes. talk a little bit about that too, Cherie. Sure, absolutely. So part number one is you have to tell them the problem you're solving in the marketplace. Okay. Um, that includes, you know, what your business idea is, how big the marketplace is. Mm-hmm. And a great example that I can give you, and this separates an amateur from a real entrepreneur, Okay. is let's say that you are selling water. Right. Well, you know, the number one thing that you may think to say is, well, everyone needs to drink water. Sure. You know, but how, however, a smart angel will know that, number one, not everyone does drink water, which sure. is why you have Mayor Bloomberg fighting, you know, the whole sugary <laughs> drinks uh, right. issue in New York. Right. Um, so you have to discount those people. You have to discount people that like vitamin water because they like flavored water. Right, right. Okay? Then you're discounting people that only want Fiji water or a specific brand of water. True. So you're really dwindling it down to how many people could we truly say is in our marketplace. And that's what separates you from an amateur to just a really strong entrepreneur. That's important, direct and indirect competitors. And it will show also, you're right, Cherie, that, that you're knowledgeable um, of the market. Um, so I, I think that's, that's great advice. Absolutely. And it just shows that you don't think that everyone is is your um, customer. Is your customer. customer. Exactly. Sure, absolutely. Exactly. That's so important. That's so great. Part two is you want to show your customer acquisition and retention plan. Mm. Okay? You want to show how you're going to attract how are you going to convert prospects? How are you going to service your customers? Because servicing customers is a huge part of marketing. That's how you get your referrals. That's how you get your raving fans is in the servicing. Then you want to show how you're going to upsell your customers, and you're going to show how you're going to retain customers because retention and getting them come back again and again and again, whether it's for pizza or Subway, you know, not only coming back to the Subway franchise as a whole, but coming back to your store. What are you going to do in order to make that happen? So that's part two, is showing a very strong customer acquisition and retention plan. Then part three is showing your team. And um, not only showing senior team management, but a lot of times the receptionist or the person that you encounter at the front counter mm-hmm. will turn a customer off more so than, you know, you have the, a CEO trying to bring people in the door or through the door. If you've ever gone to a restaurant and the hostess just totally turned you off and you just sure. turn around and leave. So it's very important to show how you're going to take care of 
uh, hiring not only your senior managers but also the people that are on that are touching your customers and servicing your customers day to day. I think that's great, Cherie. You know, because we don't do that in business plans that often, do we? I mean, a lot of times it seems like the focus is always on senior management and who owns mm-hmm. the company, not getting into the specifics. And you know, I, I teach for Kaplan University, and I always say, you know, the receptionist or you know the person who's greeting you is really the most important person in the company, you know, so I, I think that's great advice. I, I've never heard of that before, but it's it's great. It is great, and I'll, I'll give people a little trick to put in their business plans um, that I heard from a State Farm agent. She actually goes to restaurants and to the mall and finds the greatest customer service young people that she can find. That's and she brings them into the business um, that way. That's so clever, um, isn't it? <laughs> it is very, very clever. A lot of times, you know, I know young people get a bad rep here. So for all the young people, we love you uh, as yeah. uh, as older professionals. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, a lot of times um, it's you want to, for those entry-level positions, you want to hire for attitude and then train versus mm. saying I'm looking for someone that already has three years of office experience. No, if you have somebody who's a great customer service relational person anyway, you can train them on how to file and how to use, you know, the the, uh, software within your business and, and, you know, things like that. Great. um, So that was the team. The fourth thing is you want to really talk about your competitive advantage and acknowledge your competitors. What are they good at? What are you good at? and how you're going to basically target your niche and show your niche that you uh, have the right solution for them. Um, Part five is, of course, the financial projections. Mm -hmm. You want to to show them the money because uh, outside of the executive summary, the second thing that most angels and banks uh, look at is actually your projected financials. and then the final thing is specifically if you're getting angel investment capital or venture capital, you want to tell them how you're going to pay them back. Because with most angels, um, well, let me take a step back here. Um, if you have a business where you're not going to have cash flow to pay a bank back um, every month, right. You may decide to get angel investment capital. Okay. So what you would do is you would say, um, by the time we reach you know X amount of revenues, then we will start paying you back every month. I see. Or within three years, we're going to have what's called a liquidity event in order to pay you back. And you want to show the angel investor that you have a minimum of three ways of getting their money back because they're taking a risk on you. Mm, you're reducing that fear, as you were talking about earlier, that they may have. How Absolutely. am I going to get my money back? And I think Absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. And you're putting yourself in the position of that angel investor who wants their capital back so that they are able to invest in other businesses. Wow, that's fantastic. So is it true that investors and banks will say no even if they think your product is a a great idea, Sheree, and and why would they do that? Okay, a thousand percent. Mm -hmm. They actually do turn down great ideas. Okay. Um, The number one reason is because of an inadequate team, which is why I work with my clients 
um, and I really talk in the book about you have to make sure that you have a fantastic team um, in, in place in order to receive financing. Mm, that's interesting. The second reason, and it's it's right up there but maybe a little bit less, is having a strong customer acquisition plan. Mm-hmm. How are you going to get customers through the door? Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I um I went to Fairleigh Dickinson for a post MBA degree in entrepreneurial studies, Cherie, and there was always like angel investors coming in, and it always seemed like they were interested in um, that the, the tech companies. Is it possible for non tech companies to get money from angel investors? Absolutely, it is okay. Absolutely, think about the local bakery that gets a couple of people in the community to invest in actually expansion um, of that local bakery. There are a lot of, of, first of all, um, there are a lot of angel investors that do prefer tech companies, but usually they have a tech background. Mm -hmm. However, there are a lot of people that don't know technology, but again, if you're the local pizza franchise or the local um, subway or the local cleaning company, they would better understand that business than they would creating the next Pinterest. So this, again, goes back to portfolios that angel investors are looking at. And a lot of times an angel investor wants to be able to not only contribute capital, but to contribute um, you know, assistance in terms of getting new contracts or you know, maybe they're very strong in finance or other aspects of business where they can help you. That's interesting. So where can business owners find sources of money, Sheree? Um, a couple of great places to go are, like I said, you know, it's it's the millionaire next door. Mm-hmm. The person you wouldn't necessarily know is the millionaire is True. the best place to go. Um, there's also the ability, if you have a strong enough social network, to consider crowdfunding. Interesting. Okay. And let's take a step back. What is crowdfunding? Um, crowdfunding is, let's say that you want to raise $100,000 in right. order to um, get your business up and running. Well, let's say that uh, the average crowdfunder, and I actually got this information from someone that runs a crowdfunding platform, says, it says that the average person invests $50 each. Okay, so if you had 2,000 people invest $50 each, then all of a sudden you have your $100,000. Wow, that's interesting. I've seen a couple franchise, uh, franchises actually getting into that now, Shuri. I was mm-hmm. unfamiliar with it, you know, and um, I, I think that's interesting. I think a lot of people don't know about crowdfunding, do they? Um, you know, it's something that has gotten a lot more attention with mm-hmm. the Jobs Act that yeah. President Obama has passed. Yeah. Um, but right now, they haven't set up how you can actually exchange equity right. for the money. But, you know, if you're opening up the local pizza shop, offer somebody, you know, X amount of pizzas when you open sure. or or a, a, the ability to have a pizza party in your establishment or something like that. People love receiving those types of gifts, and they also love knowing that they are um, affecting their community, Absolutely. providing jobs within their community. Now, another um, option that you may want to consider for brick-and-mortar businesses mm-hmm. that are local, 
I just heard about this on your business on MSNBC. It's a company called Bolster, and that's spelled B-O-L-S-T-R. Okay. And they have something like a crowdfunding platform, but it's specifically meant for brick-and-mortar retail businesses. And um, they have it set up where if you invest, in a specific business, you're able to share in the revenues of that business. Wow. So you may want to check that out as well. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So how are entrepreneurs and readers responding to your book, Sheree? I've gotten actually rave reviews from entrepreneurs. I actually had one entrepreneur say that he uh, put this book on his short list along with The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Wow, that's pretty powerful. (laughs) Very powerful. I, I wrote this book as something that could be read by the poolside or the fireside. It, it's a very easy read. It will only take you a couple of hours to get through. Um, but even more than entrepreneurs, I wanted to put this book in the hands of angel investors and banks and say, nice. what do you think? And I'm getting great, great responses. Every angel investor, every banker that I've I've presented this to has said, you're right on target. This is, you know, no BS. We're we're giving them the information that they need. And um, I've actually had a couple of angel investors order multiple books from me and start giving them out to people that come and ask them for funding. So, um, yeah, so if you are actually looking for a book that – has been blessed by people that have the money, then um, then this is it. That's fantastic. And we're going to be recommending the book on the show as well. I'm going to be recommending it to all the, uh, the collegiate entrepreneurs that I work with, and um, I, I think it's, it's a very important book. How can we learn more about how do we get a copy um, of your book, Cherie? Where do we get it? Okay. Well, you come to my website, which is called Business Plans That Get Financed dot com. Okay. That's Business Plans That Get Financed dot com. Or if you want to reach out to me personally, um, if let's say that you just have a couple of quick questions about how this information can um, impact your business specifically, I'll give you my phone number. It's seven zero three four eight nine four five eight nine. That's fantastic. I want to thank you again, Cherie, for coming on the show. It's nice to finally have you on the show. And uh, I'd really like to invite you back next year, you know, as, as, as you continue to sell the book. And uh, I have a feeling you'll be writing some more books in the future as well. I hope so. Thank you so much, Marty. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Cherie. We'll be right back with more franchises. Coming up on segment two, you're going to hear what every entrepreneur needs to know before buying a franchise. We're going to play a clip from our popular Great Quotes in Franchising podcast right here on Franchise Interviews. Are you looking for a franchise that delivers? Businesses will always need shipping, and for more than 25 years, loyal customers have depended on Unishippers for reliable savings and exceptional customer service. Unishippers is focused on just one thing, helping small and medium-sized businesses save time and money on all their shipping needs. And as the largest reseller of complete shipping services in the country, we have the buying power to ensure that we succeed. The Unishippers franchise offers low startup costs, no equipment or real estate required because they're not retail, residual income, and a quality of life and work-life balance. 
For more information on becoming a Unishippers franchisee, go to www.unishippers.com and click Franchise Opportunities or call Franchise Development at 801-708-5822. That's 801-708-5822. The Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity. Are you looking for a unique and lucrative franchise opportunity? If so, take a look at Stone Coat. With a patented process which creates a true stone finish on almost any wall or ceiling, Stone Coat is a true game-changing product in the multi-billion dollar construction industry. Stone Coat is applied faster, cleaner, and cheaper than conventional quarried stone, which saves both time and money. With advantages in remodel and new construction of both residential and commercial projects, Stone Coat is a true crossover product. The Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity provides a low startup cost, low operating expenses, comprehensive training, ongoing support, and no royalty payments. For more information on the Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity, go to www.stonecoatfranchise.com. That's www.stonecoatfranchise.com or call us at 972-380-2700. That's 972-380-2700. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising, which podcast you get to hear a great quote in franchising. You know, we've been hosting franchise interviews now over six years and over 300 shows, and during that time, we've had some incredible quotes on the show. Today, you're going to get to hear from Ellen Dunn, who is a franchisee to the Wild Birds Unlimited franchise system, and frequently on the show, we'll ask our guests, why franchising? Why did you go into franchising? And I thought Lynn's answer was really unique out of all the guests we've had in six years. She spoke about the importance of um, having relationships. And, you know, she even thinks of the franchisor and her fellow franchisees as friends. So I, I thought that was very clever. She also took an assessment of what, you know, maybe her possible weaknesses were and her strengths. And, you know, she says that the franchise can help her with things like advertising or marketing, which, you know, wasn't really in her background. So we're going to play that clip for you right now and enjoy this edition of Great Quotes in Franchising from Franchise Interviews. Here we go. I left me and started my own business. I always had a corporation behind me. And I knew that I needed someone that could offer me all the things that I didn't get from the corporate world. And after interviewing several other franchisees, I knew that WBU was where I was going to get all the things as a small business owner that from the corporate world that I couldn't get on my own, such as the HR and the marketing. So you were sold or you were convinced on franchising right away, and you kind of like knew that, you know, you wanted to be an entrepreneur, but franchising was probably the best alternative for your situation. Correct, because I didn't, you know, I didn't have all the expertise for mainly mm-hmm. the marketing, the advertising, sure. because I always, as I said, I always had a corporation behind me at my other jobs, so I didn't know how to go about doing all those things on my own, and a franchise is the best way to get those get those items. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Did you know the category really well. Did you know the category was going to be retail, Ellen? I mean, did you, you know, I mean there's like 80, I think there's like 80 different industries a Wild Birds Unlimited franchisee. Well, that was one of the one of the things I was nervous the most about going out on my own mm-hmm. was missing relationship building because yeah. again, coming from very large corporations, yeah. I was worried about not having friends. 
sure, and sure. I must say, <laughs> interesting. I have tons of friends. Um, the, all the different store owners, um, building the relationships with all the store owners here in New England and right. across the United States. I just have lots of relationships and the relationships at the Franchise Support Center. Um, I can pick up the phone at any time and call any number of people to talk to and bounce off, you know, crazy ideas that I might be coming up with, and they'll either laugh with me or think that it's a great idea or right. tell me I'm out of my mind. <laughs> and it's just been a wonderful support yeah. group. And there are people to talk to when you need those different supports, whether it's crisis management or whether it's just somebody to talk to. There's always somebody around that you can talk to or go out and spend an evening with. There's always somebody there to do that. And I really That's didn't great. think I was going to have that support group anymore. It sounds like it's the culture, too, at Wild Birds Unlimited that you, you enjoy, too, Ellen. And listening to, you know, I've never, you know, in the six years of doing that show, I, I like how you mentioned, you know, use the word friends, which I think is very powerful. You know, the relationship with franchisees and also the relationship with the franchisor. I, I think that's very powerful what you said. Um, so I, I, I think that's fantastic, you know. And um, uh, it sounds like, as you said, there's always someone to talk to, and you wouldn't get that. If you did this on your own, would you, you know, if if you called it, you know, Ellen's Birds Unlimited, you know, I guess it would be a lot more lonely experience. Right. Yeah, so and, and they are my great. friends. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Franchise Interviews, where we're asking the entrepreneur who owns one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, my co-host, Don Johnson, and if you've ever dreamed of owning your own business, then you've come to the right place. And as we were saying earlier, Don, we have a great show today. We're going to be talking about guerrilla marketing for the franchisee. Many franchisees enter into a franchise business and think owning their own business will be much easier than it really is. We have the pleasure of meeting with Todd Woods, CEO of Guerrilla Marketing Strategies, and Eddie Leonard, who is Chief Operating Guerrilla. Hey, Todd and Eddie, how are you guys doing today? Great, good to be with you. Good, good morning, thanks, guys. Eddie and Todd. How are you doing today, guys? Awesome, every day, just a different day, but looking forward to it. Thanks for having Absolutely. us on the show. Oh, it's our pleasure. Guys, joining us is my co-host, Don Johnson, and I know, Don, you wanted to say good morning to uh, uh, Ed and Toddy. And Ed and Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Hey, that works, too. Toddy. <laughs> Toddy and Ed. Toddy. He's a hot Toddy, man. <laughs> Don, how are you? Uh, he's not there. He must. Don must have taken a bathroom break, but uh, I'm sure he'll be back. <laughs> no problem. But anyway, guys, we're both excited to have you guys on the show today because, I mean, Don and I are both big marketers. I mean, we love marketing. Um, Don actually introduced this book to me you know, several years ago. You know, I was a big fan of it. So, uh, you know, congratulations on, on the success of the book as well. Thank you. Um, Todd, you know, it's fantastic. Todd, I thought I would start with you. How did you become a guerrilla marketer? Well, I kind of tripped into it um, by accident, thank goodness. But back in 1997, I set out to own my own franchise business. I signed up to be a yeah. Jamba Juice franchisee and uh, moved to Phoenix, Arizona, 850 miles away from my house. I was really excited about it, like everybody yeah. is and when they sign up. And, uh, 
you know, I, I got to that grand opening day and, and was ready to, to launch and kick the doors open and, and was excited, had everyone ready to go, and nothing happened. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Absolutely. what's the deal? We're the people. So exactly. basically I, I, I got to the point to where I did a, a lot of things once, and if it didn't work, I abandoned it and, and tried something else. And, right. uh, you know, the short of it is is we got, you know, six months and a, and a year into it, and things were miserable. It just wasn't working for us, and we were we were way short on our numbers. My investor was was wondering what the heck you know we were doing, and uh, finally I just started reaching out, trying to find answers anywhere, and I ended up in the bookstore and ran across the book Gorilla Marketing, the original right. by Jay Levinson. Yeah, and I picked this thing up and I'm like, what in the world is Gorilla Marketing? I didn't understand what it was, never heard of it before, and uh, sat down and started to read and, and and you know read half the book in one sitting, and basically realized that. I was doing a lot of things wrong. There's a lot of things that I wasn't doing that I should have been. Uh-huh. The things that I was doing were, were incorrect and ineffective. And then uh, basically that's, that's what started it. So we started putting everything into play, and, and uh, things started really turning around for us. Hey, you think Todd, that happens a lot too? Some... Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Todd. sorry about that, Marty. Yeah, I think it's interesting, Todd, looking over the book. Uh, I mean, so many people across the country have gone across your situation of just because you invest in a franchise and – um, and it's a you know well-known name that you can open the doors and do very well. So it was interesting how you hit you know a brick wall, and it was a big eye-opening experience. And that you know, even though the franchise always giving you support and, and, and everything to be successful, you know you really have to you know do more and get out there because you're you know you're in charge, and the business only can be as good as what you you make it. It was very interesting how you went into specifics and found this book and. Turn the whole thing around. It was just really amazing. Well, I'll know, tell you what. I, I would say in, in working with franchisees and franchisors over the years, one thing that, that Eddie and I have found is is that if there's one message to take away from today's interview, it's that um, it's not as easy as it seems. However, if if we do the right things, if we if we do it correctly, um, it, it it really really helps us really launch into success. And uh, I think the biggest thing people lack is patience. And understanding that we really need to hit people multiple, multiple times with our marketing message in right. many different ways, um, and and, and uh, you know through just being very aggressive at it, uh, waking up every day asking that question, what can I do today to impact my business, and uh, you know things 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 will work. Yeah, no, so it's you went through. Go, yeah, ahead, go ahead, Marty. I was going to say, you know, Todd, you mentioning. I mean, just going back to that old rule, Todd. You know, if it was a seven to Ten times someone has to see your message before they respond to it, you know. And there's a lot of you know things going on out there where you only see the ad once or twice, and you know that's where the business typically gives up, you know. So uh, uh, that that absolutely. is true. I think yeah, people people find that you know they think hey, I bought into this great franchise and mm-hmm. and I'm going to you know ride on the coattails of of the brand name, and right. uh, that is the biggest misconception out there. And uh, I, I wish I would have known more going into it because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, yeah, you know, Jamba Juice is successful, but we were the first one in the state of Arizona. In fact, the first one outside of California. I thought uh-huh. the brand would carry over, um, but I learned miserably that first couple of years was brutal. But I'm so glad we stuck it out and I learned what I did and, uh, you know, really stuck with it because we do need to be in front of people seven to nine times to really uh, make an impact. Yeah. Can I share a quick story on that? Just just this yeah. week, um, I've been driving by, um, well, the last couple of weeks um, on my route to my office here on Bell, Bell Road in Phoenix. I've been driving by um, this Carl's Jr. restaurant. I didn't even know they were there up until a few weeks ago, but they've got somebody standing out on the corner. And, you know, you've got a big brand name there. You've got a big company, um, but it's probably independently owned. 
And uh, they have somebody on the street all day long, on the street corner. Uh, and, and, you know, you're all familiar with banner waving, and, and it's becoming pretty successful these days, a right. lot of people doing it. Yeah. Uh, but these guys take it to another level. I mean, they have, they had a, they have a girl out there or a young woman uh, or a young man, whatever the shift is, and they're waving pom-poms. They've got a sign saying 99 cents hot, hot dogs today. Uh, they even have a coach's whistle in their mouth. I mean, and you know what? To some it might seem a little over the top, a little obnoxious, yeah. but I'll tell you what. I know that that business is there on the corner now for when, when I'm hungry. It, it yeah. works. That's the kind now, of stuff. What does that, that remind works. you of, Marty? Marty, what does that remind you of? Uh, what it reminds me. And Don and I, this is how well we know each other. I think you're di- thinking of Liberty Tax, Don. Right, right. That's yeah. you know, it's it's. I don't know um, if, if you guys have ever seen Liberty Tax, but I saw it all over day. the all over the place. Yeah, where yeah. they have the you know person standing outside with the, you know they got the Statue of Liberty and they're waving to all the cars. Yeah. I mean, wow, it really works. I mean, it's tax season. You know, right. I mean, it's you know, just, here's, and, and it's interesting. Here's the key to that, though. One of the things I've noticed is you got to get the right person out there. Sometimes yes. people think I'm going to get the cheapest person I can get, <laughs> and it looks like they've got a you know yeah. you know excuse the expression, but a homeless person out there that's, sure. that's you know unshaved and yeah. doesn't give the right message. So so that's one one of the things that we teach is that marketing um, is any contact we have with any part of the public, and and so you know if we're going to have somebody out there on the on the on the street, we got to make sure it's the right person doing the right thing. It's true. It really is enthusiasm, you know. And we see it every weekend. You know, a lot of times, a lot of retailers, you know, they may have a sale and they have someone standing out, like on the highway with a sign, and they're just standing there. There's nothing. Right. There's no emotion or anything. So I, yep. I definitely agree with you guys on that. There has to be that emotion and enthusiasm there. It, it, it's it's really fantastic. How did you get involved, Eddie, uh, in guerrilla marketing? Well, I've uh, I've had a long career in marketing, and uh, in the last so uh, seven or eight years, I've been doing some consulting work for franchise companies, some that are uh, you know very successful, and others that uh, let's just say that where the franchisees are struggling, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I was just beating my head against the wall trying to you know teach franchisees the right way to market their business, and a lot of them, especially the ones that are not uh, you know finding the success that they want immediately, they get frustrated. And mm-hmm. I was doing some research online, and lo and behold, I, I, I found Todd's book, Guerrilla Marketing for Franchisees. Yeah. I bought a copy online. I read the thing in one day, and it was like, yeah, this right. guy is reading my mind. Yeah. I mean, he knows it. He knows it. And I, so I called Todd up, and I said, hey, Todd, uh, do me a favor. Could you come out to this franchise group? Because, you, know, you know, like most franchisors, we have monthly training right. sessions. Can you come out? And then I also asked them to come out to our annual meeting. Please tell your story to our franchisees. And when he came out and told his story to the franchisees, it was like a light bulb went on in, in most of their heads. You know, some people are just never going to get it because, you know, they, they just expect everything to happen for them, you know, there's an entitlement thing. We're Americans. We want it now, and we expect to be millionaires just because we wrote a check. But Todd really opened their eyes and opened their minds to guerrilla marketing. And I, you know, I've been involved in, you know, guerrilla marketing in effect uh, ever since my early days. I used to be the head of marketing at Six Flags Theme Parks. And we did we did the guerrilla marketing. We didn't call it guerrilla marketing because uh, uh, Jay Levinson's book wasn't out yet. But we were doing some wild, crazy things out out in the street. And I, I really synced up to Todd's book, Guerrilla Marketing, and it really helped our franchisees turn their businesses around. Wow. So maybe Eddie, maybe expand on that and tell people what is guerrilla marketing and how does it differ from other marketing. 
Well, guerrilla marketing, you know, any, anybody can put an ad in a newspaper. Anybody can call up a TV station and buy a, a, an ad on TV or on the radio. Right. But guerrilla marketing takes more of your own uh, intelligence and your own thought uh, process and a little bit of elbow grease and less money. That's the nice part about it is you don't have to spend the big bucks that you spend on TV and radio. It's creative things. It's just getting out. It's really about relationship building one-on-one. It's about being out in the community, doing things like Todd talked about, you know, waving the banners. It, it, but it also includes things like becoming the expert in your community and writing stories for the newspaper, putting out uh, uh, flyers, uh, and doing all of those what we call on-the-street kind of things that really, it, yeah, it takes more of your time and more of your effort, but less of your cash, and, and it pays off in the long run. Let's face it. Nobody builds a relationship with an ad in a newspaper. Nobody builds a relationship with an ad on TV or radio. But when you're out there guerrilla marketing, you're meeting people, you're talking to your customers face-to-face, one-on-one, and, and, and it really is more effective. So yeah. Todd, I add a little to that, story, Eddie. Uh, yeah, Todd, I was just going to mention, uh, you know, you quickly read half the book. Seems like you, you really got remotivated when you were at a low. So you completed the book, got some other ideas, and you maybe finish your story, which can tie in this question as well. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, I started realizing that uh, we could compete with, with, with larger companies on a small budget. And that's the beauty of business today is that um, no matter how small a company, a one-person company um, can actually you know look like a large company with, with the way we can print things at such a low cost um, and we can really geo-target uh, you know, an area. If I've got a retail location... Um, you know, I can really own that neighborhood through, through um, you know, just just hitting that neighborhood multiple times with different different things. But what we ended up doing with, um, I mean, one of the things that that helped us turn it around is I decided to not wait for business to come to us, but we actually went out and got the business. We we came up with an offsite um, smoothie sales program to where we actually went into into uh, junior highs and elementary schools and and did some fundraising programs. And I would say that fundraisers are a huge asset right now to small business and uh, and franchise companies because, um, you know, my wife's been PTA president for three years at our school and is always looking for ways to earn money for the school. I know it's that way countrywide. And so we tapped into schools. We did off-site sales. Um, everywhere we went, I mean, I, I really am a big believer that whatever business you're engaged in at that time, you need to um, really be be into that business. Uh, I, everywhere I went, I was wearing a logoed shirt. Uh, I carried free smoothie cards everywhere I went. I was in the grocery store. Someone said, hey, what's Jamba Juice? And I pulled out a free card and told them about it real quick and, and invited them in. Um, I think too many times, you know, we, we, we want to leave work at work, and, and uh, the reality is is that, you know, we need to bring it into our community where we live. A lot of people don't even know what their neighbors do for work, and, and what a shame because uh, it's really – it's really effective to, to to get with people and other businesses and uh, and cross promote. But our our story, uh, long story short, but we ended up growing the five stores. We did have to relocate our first two locations. It was very painful, but it paid off in the end. After about a eight or nine year run, um, we were growing at double that of the of the company average. Uh, out of about 450 stores that were growing at six percent year over year, we were able to maintain a 12 percent year-over-year growth. And that's not because I'm great or because, you know, some magical thing. It's because we were doing the right things and we were relentless, relentless about sticking with the plan, even when we got successful. A lot of times we get, you know, we start getting all these sales and and then guess what the first thing is to go? Marketing. 
<laughs> we think, oh, we've got sales coming in, right. so we back off on our marketing plan. We just didn't do that. We were always uh, pedal the metal, so to speak. Always on the offensive, right, mm-hmm. being relentless, always put the name out there. could never be. Yeah, I'd just like to add, guys, you know that your, your, your five-year-old child probably knows more about guerrilla marketing than you do. Right. Because when they want something, they don't walk up and say, Daddy. They say, Daddy, 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 until you finally go, That's what? right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so true. They get yeah. your attention. Yeah. It is. It's all about the tapping in, getting attention, owning the neighborhood where we're doing business, owning that market, and uh, – there's so much opportunity out there. I mean, yeah, we are in challenging times, but you know what? Mm-hmm. Um, the message is if people want success, it's out there. It's just doing the right things. I would add one thing, too, to that, and that is uh, if we ever get to a point where a business starts slowing down, the first thing I would suggest people do is go back 90 days and look at that past 90 days and look at what we have done in our business to uh, what was our marketing looking like. What marketing activities were we engaged in? And I will bet almost every single time that uh, there is a direct correlation between the amount of marketing we do and our sales level. They are directly correlated. And people will be blown away at how simple that is when they actually look at it. Sales are low. Hey, what were you doing the last 90 days? Because it takes you know 90 days plus for things to work. Right. That's true. It really is a numbers game, isn't it, <clears throat> Eddie? It is. You know, I mean, it's, it's just numbers game. Say, it's, Absolutely. That's what I got out of the book too. Is you know, it's 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 okay for the franchisee to really go beyond, I guess, the, the the franchise system. You know, a lot of times Don and I on the show we say, okay, follow the system, follow the system. But you know, after you know reading your book, I was thinking, you know, what it is okay for the franchisee to you know follow your tactics and really go above and beyond what the franchise is asking. Because as you guys say or know, you know, a lot of times these franchisees just expect business to come to them, you know, and this is being a That's lot right. more aggressive, you know. So, um, well, and every market's different, uh, mm-hmm. guys. Every market is different, and 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 so we do need to do that. We're we're big believers in in sticking by the rules of the franchise, you know, right. follow the system. But I love what you say about it. You know, it's true. We need to give ideas to corporate. I mean, you know. Franchisees are on the front lines every day. They know better than anybody else what's really going on. Mm-hmm. But we need to respect the franchise company and everybody that's that's trying to set the system up. And and uh, we we in the field, I had people, you know, store managers that would bring an idea to me that I thought was brilliant. Um, we we brought it to corporate and said, hey, we'd love to do this idea. We got sign off on it. We did some testing with their blessing, and they ended up, you know, rolling it out to the whole system. Some of the very best ideas come from the field in franchise companies. Absolutely, yeah. We've seen that a lot, haven't we, Don? You know, over the last right. few years, just referencing stories, you know, of uh, right. uh, you know, what Eddie and Todd are talking about. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, going back to the beginning of franchising, uh, some well-known franchisors, even like the, what was it, McDonald's? McDonald's, with the, uh, the filet of fish and yeah. <laughs> all those other stories. It, it really is fantastic. So what do um, the Guerrilla Marketing Strategy workshops and, and webinars actually cover, guys? Well, you know, uh, you know, there's that old saying, those who can't teach, and we like to uh, turn that upside down, and, and we teach and we do. Um, we, we conduct live seminars and webinars, uh, inter- interactive webinars. So, you know, Todd and I will come out and we'll spend as much time as the organization wishes us to spend. Uh, right. Todd usually does a, a keynote speech, uh, introductory speech, and then we break it up into workshops, uh, really interactive workshops where we get franchisees involved in the planning of their own future marketing. 
And so we, we, we teach these, these uh, um, workshops and, and webinars online. We also are now doing mobile marketing and social interactive marketing and street team kind of marketing where we do the planning and the implementation for them. Because we found a lot of franchisees, even after they get the message, they're still a little reluctant to do it themselves, and, and many right. times they'll just hire us to do it for them. Uh, and we're, we're really easy to find. I'll give a plug here. We're at gmarketingstrategies.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at gmktg. It's a shortened version of Gorilla Marketing. It's gmktg. And that's also um, our email address is gmktg at aol.com. Uh, Todd also has another site called effectivemarketingtv.com. So yeah, which is easy fantastic. to find. Yeah. It, it, the and by the way, anybody, great, yeah. anybody wants to send us an email, uh, we'll send you out a, a, a free uh, you know, web sample of the book. It doesn't cost wow. you anything. There's no obligation. We don't bug you with you know, uh, you know, hits on, on your website or, or, or hits on your email. We just send it to you. Yeah, it was about, and I got to see the videos too, um, uh, Todd. Good. That uh, Eddie was talking about. It really are fantastic. I'm going to have to send you the link to that, Don, because you would like it. You know, being in marketing, but really some fascinating stories on that too. Uh, yeah, we're looking for marketing rock stars. Anyone yeah. wants to share an idea? We're looking for marketing rock stars that you know we can bring on and do you know do a you know, three to five minute video on you know how they've turned things around. Some of the best ideas come from industry to industry, and I, you know one of the things we've adopted you know at an early age you know years ago was. We need to work together. A lot of times we think our competition, let's say if I'm uh, in the tile and grout cleaning business, we think the other tile and grout cleaners are, are, are our competition. That may right. be true to an extent, but you know what our real competition is? It's all the media out there. We're, we're, you know, we're hit with 2,700 marketing messages a day. Right. And so really, our real competition, you know, we need to team up together, whatever our industry is, um, help other people, help other businesses. Some of the most effective marketing is what we call strategic partnering. Uh, which is you know a fancy word for helping other businesses cross promote with you know a tile tile and grout cleaner can get with the dry cleaners mm-hmm. you know um, uh, people can advertise on pizza box tops you get different restaurants helping each other grow and it's it's magical the, the things that happen oh absolutely and sharing best practices as well you know what's worked for you know different businesses I, I, exactly. I think that's fantastic absolutely. And that's you know what really comes to mind is marketing tactics. So that, you know what what you just mentioned really weren't the norm. What you just talked about. So these are all you know such valuable uh, bits of information for people looking to uh, uh, you know get ahead with their marketing. Yeah. So uh, you know, is there you know what's the silver bullet, guys? If there is one. <laughs> you know what? I've been looking for that for years. And and when I picked up Gorilla Marketing, I was hoping you know in the very beginning I was hoping to find the sil- silver bullet because I tried so many things and I'm like. I would ask people, I would interview different business owners, I would talk to all my, 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 my dad's successful friends and say, you know, what is it that really turned your business around? And uh, what we came to find was uh, we were very disappointed because there really is not a silver bullet. The silver bullet is marketing combinations and, and repetition. Um, really, it's, it's hitting people, um, introducing our, our message through many different ways. For example, there's, uh, in, the, in the, the city I, I live in, is about 30,000 people uh, outside of Phoenix. And there's a, a, a pest control company. There's probably 40 in, in this community. I mean, uh, in the pest control industry, there's, you know, there's, it's very saturated. However, this company, Titan Pest Control, just owns this neighborhood because they'll do multiple things. When I moved into my home, they sent me a welcome to the neighborhood postcard with a free, um, uh, free pest control uh, service for the first time, and it gave, gave them an opportunity to come into my home and impress press us with you know, their professionalism and so forth. And then we would see them at community events. Every year at the Veterans Day Parade, they have their Titan Pest Control trucks 
just driving by waving at people. They're at every carnival in the community that they can be at with a booth. Um, I get a door hanger from them, you know, once a year. I see them in the In-N-Out magazine that comes out weekly. Every single week they've got an ad in there. Uh, I see their trucks driving around. I see them on the backs of T-shirts at, at running events. You get the idea? There's, there's so many different ways. I, I've got a refrigerator magnet from them that came home with my kids uh, from school. Uh, they do fundraisers with the schools. It's, you know, this type of marketing, it seems overwhelming, but really it's not because we teach a seven-step marketing plan that helps people really break it down from, wow, there's all these ideas out there. How do I actually implement these things? Right. And it's really more simple than people think. Um, it's choosing the tools that you want to work with and anxiously be engaged in, in five to ten different marketing activities at once, at once, five to ten different outlets of marketing at one time, like many of the ones that I, I just listed. A lot of those things are autopilot. We can set them up. They're systematized to where um, it doesn't take much effort, and they just run on their own. So uh, marketing combinations is the silver bullet. And, you know, I'd just like to add to that, you know, those of us who are uh, in marketing and, and students of marketing have heard the terms reach and frequency, and that really, those, if, if there are silver bullets, I think reach and frequency are, are the silver bullets. Uh, you know, most franchisees that are not that familiar with marketing will try something, as Todd said, try something once. They put an ad in the paper, and if the phone doesn't ring and if the customers don't come in, they get discouraged. Right. And they say, oh, that didn't work, and they throw it away and they move on to the next thing. Well, you can very quickly burn out every form of marketing and say to yourself, it doesn't work. But as you know, how many people you reach and how many times you reach them is really the magic bullet. We thought of, uh, if we do another book, uh, something to the effect of, um, you know, direct mail doesn't work or door hangers don't work or advertising doesn't work, and then the subtitle is going to be, you know, if used alone and, and not in conjunction yeah. with, some, with other things because, because it's true. Um, if, if I always t teach people, hey, if you're, going to do, uh, if you're going, to, going to put one ad one time in the newspaper, don't waste your money. Right. If you're going to be on the radio and, and not get the right amount of frequency, don't waste your money. Save it. Um, you know, do I get the do I get a full page ad in a magazine right. once, or do I get twelve small ones throughout the year? Twelve small ones throughout the year is a no brainer. Exactly, that's fascinating. So, how do small companies compete with you know, big marketing budgets? You know, like how does a small time, like let's say, franchise retailer, compete with like a Walmart who's got like an unlimited budget? It seems like. Well, it's a great question, and it's something that you know I think franchisees face every day because there is that competition out there. But it comes back to what we were talking about, about owning our market, owning our neighborhood. For example, if I owned a restaurant um, on 7th Street and Bell Road uh, here in Phoenix, and, and it was just the only one in the valley of its type, I, I would not be doing any kind of valley-wide marketing. I would not be doing any kind of radio, no television. Uh, what we would be doing is hitting... Um, that, that, that radius around there, you know, the 30,000 people around there, uh, up to 50,000, and just work our way from the nucleus of our store location out. I'd be, you know, hitting them with different things from um, door hangers, uh, direct mail pieces. And, and, and if we target on a small audience, a, a, a real targeted audience, people get something from us multiple times in a month, uh, we're going to seem huge because um, they're going, the people right around us that we're going for are going to see us so many times. They're going to go, gosh, this restaurant must be unbelievably um, awesome because I, I see their stuff all the time. And so it really comes down to targeting and um, hitting the same people multiple times. 
if I ever send out a direct mail postcard with a company for a company, um, the minimum is is three times, and we do one a week or one every other week to the same person, same postcard, maybe change up the message a little bit. Um, I would never think of just once um, because the we talk about we need to be in front of people seven to nine times. That's the good news. The bad news is that for every three times we put out our marketing message, people really only see it once. Because if you think about the you know the junk mail out there and 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 all the 2,700 marketing messages which represent clutter, um, our message gets lost. So we need to just continually beat on it. So you know we can compete with the big dogs. Um, by by just target marketing, and, and and I just like to add to that that what a small business can do that a large business probably won't do because they won't dedicate the time and the and the effort and the money is really get involved in the community, uh, you know get out there and speak at the local chamber of commerce, uh, get involved in the local little leagues, you know right. do things in your community to let people know that you live here, you're part of the community, and you're not going anywhere. Absolutely, I agree. I I like your. Uh Chapter 4 in this book, The Formula for Franchise Success. And maybe, Todd, you can talk just real quickly about the you know, the proper success mindset, which is so important. That's so many people, when things go wrong, you get you know, negative thoughts and that can fester, but having that correct mindset from the start is, is, is real crucial in starting yeah. out all this. Absolutely. You know, that's something that even I, I, I have a challenge with. You know, and, and a lot of times you know, people see us at workshops and and uh, keynotes and see us at our best and the energy and and uh, but but people need to understand that I believe every human being every person at some point you know has to you know they have those days where they just don't feel like getting up and doing it um, and especially if you don't see an immediate result I compare marketing to exercise Eddie and I talk about this analogy a lot because um, you know what we know we know exercise is crucial for our health it's very important there's been millions of studies on it but why don't we do it on a regular basis? Because it's challenging. It's tough. Uh, those that are physically fit and very healthy do the right things, but they don't, they don't go exercise and go to the gym one time and build muscle. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, I always put my exercise clothes by, by my bed because I wake up and sometimes it's dark that early, and if I don't step right into my running shoes, I don't get out the door. Uh, so we need to set up those systems. Um, really, uh, I believe the biggest thing that, that the biggest challenge for franchisees and, and small business owners is overcoming that um, that everyday challenge of, my gosh, what am I going to do today? Things aren't working like I'd like them to be. And uh, we just need to remember one of my favorite quotes. Uh, it's in the book that um, says, you know, every day in Africa, a gazelle wakes up, um, you know, and needs to run faster than, than the, the slowest lion or else you know, he'll, he'll be eaten that day. And every day uh, a lion wakes up, um, you know, Planning, trying to catch the slowest gazelle, uh, and it really doesn't matter whether we're a gazelle or a lion. When that sun comes up, we better be running. Absolutely. And it's that way um, in business, guys, especially in this economy, especially with the challenge that we have. We have a lot of businesses going dark. It is a mindset. I believe that um, there's so much to learn. Uh, Eddie and I never get to the point to where we feel like we know it all. Uh, we need to consistently be learning and listening to different audio tapes and, and programs and listening to programs like this. And, and this thing that you guys are doing is phenomenal. I mean, what a great service you guys are providing to franchisees because we need to learn from others. So um, really that success mindset, you know, it comes down to us. I used to, my, my first year, uh, year and a half in, in the franchise business, I would find every, re, every person to blame for my lack of success. And we see this all over the place. There are fingers going to bad weather. 
people pointing at the franchisor doesn't do enough for me. Right. They're pointing fingers at the fact that they have a bad location. You know what? Until I actually stepped up and said, you know what? It's my fault. I need to take responsibility every day for the success of my business, and things really started turning around at that point. That's fantastic. But it's a daily challenge, yeah. isn't it, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's right. been a fascinating topic for Don and I. We'd love to definitely have you guys back. What's the best way for our listeners to get more information on you guys? I know there's a couple of websites that you plugged earlier, but if any listeners just came in late, or you can go to uh, G Marketing Strategies, G Marketing Strategies dot com. Okay. Uh, you can go to EffectiveMarketingTV.com. Those are our two main websites, and uh, just send us an email. Uh, use the free information there, and we'd love to hear from anybody. That's fantastic. I want to thank both of you gentlemen again. You've been fantastic guests, and I think you agree, Don. We'd love to have them back. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Thanks, Todd and Eddie. Great job. This is such valuable information, and uh, this goes into our archive. People will be listening to this a long time. Again, the book, Guerrilla Marketing for Franchisees, it's, it's crucial. Thanks, awesome to be, be with you guys. Let's, all, let's go do some more marketing, shall we? Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Todd and Eddie. Have, have a great day, day guys. Care. Go Gorilla. Great show, huh, Don? Yeah, very, uh... I really could have spoken to him a lot longer, you know, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, just with everything that they said, you know, it just makes so much sense. But as, you know, you're saying, it's it's okay for the franchisee. Franchise interviews. From Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews.